follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I am Shad here with Matt and Brad. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Doing good, Shad. I uh, I had a bit of a rough weekend, but I'm here, so it's all Brad good. Brad caught the plague. And my refrigerator died the exact same time I was catching the plague. So that means that... Um... That means that uh, when the apocalypse starts, it's Brad's fault, uh, yes. just so everybody knows. And, the, and the, the joys of home ownership means I have to pay for a new refrigerator, and they're quite expensive. That's, yeah, oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, they are. Got to find one of them scratch and dent stores somewhere. Actually, there, um, there's a Sears outlet like five minutes away from my house. Cool. Yeah, the downside for you is just that it's too late from uh, from Labor Day sales, and it's too early yet for Columbus Day sales. So, yeah, <laughs> if it had just died like two more weeks from now, maybe I just start salting my meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they should bring that fact. Salt it. Let's all your meat just salt it. <laughs> salt it and hang it, right? Yes. Yeah. This is this has been pioneer fooding with four corners. Um, we want to say thank you all for being with us. We're happy you're here. Uh, a few things to get out of the way at the beginning. First of all, if you're the kind of person who likes wearing comfortable clothing that has something to do with wrestling, check out Collar and Elbow. That's CollarXElbowBrand.com. If you use the promo code 4CornersPodcast, that's the number 4, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast. With no spaces, you get 10% off your order, and you get some pretty cool shirts, too. Um I know we've talked about them before. I can't recommend these guys enough. They're nice guys. It's good. It's uh, good material, and it's not overly expensive. So not only are you not paying thirty dollars on the flipping shop zone, I guess. Oh that's God, good. yeah. Oh, right. No one pays full price on the shop zone. You wait for like the bi monthly sale. But and pick for, it up there. Uh, Collar and elbow is already cheaper, and then if you use things like our promo code, you can get it even cheaper. Uh, further on, mm-hmm. and you can have a really cool shirt that looks like a Waffle House sign. So it's win, 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 win. All and they around. don't email you daily like WWE. Oh, they yeah. don't. They don't. They just stand by quality material. So they need to get that uh, the Waffle House one, the His House one. That's the design name. They mm-hmm. need to get that uh, back in medium. It's out of stock right now, and I want oh. it. But it's it's out of my size, and I want the black one. There's many different options. Um, yeah. There's like three or four different colors. Right. I think all of them are sold out in medium. So I need them to get that back in stock. So I, I don't blame display you. it. Along I, with my I, other collar and double shirts, of which I have several. Yes. I want one <laughs> of those too. I just haven't gotten to order it. 
Um, so use the promo code, get the discount, and uh, support two things you probably like in one go because they like us whenever people use our promo code. The other thing we need to do is um, normally we do a shout out here, but this week on a very special Four Corners podcast, something's up with this shout out. Isn't that right, Matt? Yeah. I don't even know how to respond to this. Like we've we've run this joke now for like seventy episodes. Yes. And it finally paid off. I don't know how to tell <laughs> it. For those who aren't aware, our loyal listeners, we actually got a response from Epico Cologne. It actually yeah. happened, folks. It we've reached almost the top of the mountain. The top of the mountain would be Epico coming on the podcast for an interview. Yep. But yeah, Shad, uh, Shad posted the episode to Instagram, as he always does every week, Yep. and gave a little uh, a little tag to Epico, because mm-hmm. we, we did mention in one of our last episodes, uh, talking about uh, Epico's big uh, championship win in WWC, and Epico responded. He commented on our post on IG. Yes, he Hang on a second. Hey. Yeah, I, I would say I'll pull it up, but honest to God, I should probably just print it out and frame it at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think you um, should. <laughs> it was on the bubbly episode, too. Yes. A <laughs> little bit of the bubbly. A little bit of the bubbly. And Wait, honestly, exactly what we broke out after seeing oh, this. And, and this is a jo- this is We are being a little jokey. This did happen, but this does lead into, um, in an upcoming episode, because we do like to kind of experiment and explore the world of wrestling we decided we were going to do a couple of uh, world wrestling council tv episodes probably Mm -hmm. most notably his title win if it is on tv because i think it's always good to explore different promotions and i think uh i think we'd have a lot of fun exploring wwc for ourselves. here is the message that he left for us um thank you boys for the shout out that's followed by three exclamation points, just to drive the point home. And uh, for following what's going on in the PR wrestling scene, it's br- getting pretty cool and interesting down there. And then he left um, two of the hand emojis doing the hang loose thing, mm-hmm. like Samoa Joe does. And uh, as soon as I saw that, I I believe um, I, w- I was getting ready for bed. I was brushing my teeth, and the notification popped up. And I looked at it, and I think I was trying to say something to the effect of, oh, holy hell, except I I spit toothpaste all over the mirror and immediately messaged it to the other guys. And um, because we didn't didn't expect anything like this to happen. And here it is. So, um, you know, Epico is quality in our book, and uh, we're going to, as Brad said, we're going to talk about some some WWC here in the uh, coming up real soon, I think. Yep. Also, so, um, one of his recent title defenses, I think last month, was against Eli Drake, which I'm hoping that's oh, actually on film. Really? I'd want to see that. I would yeah. want to see that as well. That actually sounds like it would be a pretty good match. That, you know, it's fascinating to me, and it's sad again because the WWE isn't really using him. Yeah. But it is a benefit that because then we can see really interesting matchups like that. But it's also like mind blowing. It's like Epic is still under contract to WWE, and yet yeah. he's having matches with like an indie guy like Eli Drake. Yeah, like imagine if he's like defending the uh, the title against like 
Well, it wouldn't be like Kenny Omega, but I mean, name like a, a big indie guy who's not yet signed to AEW. Well, that's kind of what right. Puerto Rico was back in the day. That was like, you'd bring in like all these these guys to take on Carlos Colon for the belt. Like, you know, Stan Hansen would go down there, Abdullah the yeah. Butcher. You know, it's that's kind of like what those areas used to do. Yeah. Yeah. Back so that's days. Mm-hmm. that would be really cool. We're looking forward to. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to digging into it. Um, so that was yes, that was a big thing for us. So, and then um, uh, Brad had something he wanted to bring up. Yeah, well, there, there's there's two things we want to bring up before we get into um, the meat of today's episode. So we have a bit of a we have a bit of a sour note, I guess, for listeners of this show. So we've talked about it a bit. And we were kind of looking forward into really digging into AEW TV and to the NXT TV, I think. Because, you know, the wrestling war kind of aspect has been kind of on people's minds and, you know, it's been talked about lately. But unfortunately for us, the way we tape and release episodes, we're really not going to be able to cover it. Because So what happens is we tape these shows on Tuesday and we release them on Wednesday, and these shows are going to air Wednesday night. And we tape on Tuesdays because that's the really only day we can consistently get together to do this. Sometimes we do Mondays, but so the way our schedules work, we're just not going to be able to really... We might cover some stuff, but it's not going to be timely, unfortunately. And we might do the pay-per-views, but yeah, so... If you're expecting NXT and AEW talk just by the nature of our schedules, like it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if something big happens, we'll we'll talk about it on like a subsequent episode. But it, yeah, there would be like a, a lag. Yeah, it'd be like days later. Yeah, a week later. I mean, I uh, I recorded the the first NXT show, but I have not even had a chance to to look at it. It was mm-hmm. it was I watched some of it. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I'm already I forgot that literally like AEW debuts next week. Yeah. And I'm going to be there, but I completely forgot. I, for, I forgot that it was actually at, like that. I've been like so scatterbrained. Like my, my life is like crazy busy right now. Yeah. And I just have lost. I started to lose track of time it, like it, in many that, ways. Yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but I for me, I have to watch stuff as closely to airing as possible so that it's still I have some semblance of what actually happens still in my brain. And, you know, waiting a week to watch this stuff is just not going to work for me. It's kind of difficult in order to hang on to the thoughts you want to talk about for that long. Um, and, and so we may talk about it, but it won't be fresh hot takes. Um, and not in general, I don't think. But um, anyway, that's that's. it's not that we don't care. It's just logistically it's it's not looking the best. Yeah. And then um, there were some other, other things that happened this past weekend. Um, some hijinks ensued. You know what? I'm not. I'm not going to intro this because it'll sound like I'm being all self congratulatory. Well, I think it's on our Twitter feed, right? It's on our Twitter. Uh, is it on our Facebook? No, I didn't. I didn't know what how to tag it properly. I'll probably put it up later. Oh, okay. But um, if you want to see it, um, there is a. Is it Night Mage? Is the guy's name? Yeah. If you look up Night Mage cosplay on um, Google. Go to his Instagram. There will be a video there. Um, Shad acquired a... Is it a children's 
24-7 belt? No, that's that is the replica 24-7 belt that they uh that they they sell on their website. Oh, okay. That's that's it, right? You know, that's that's the one that they sell. That, and on the uh, really? Yeah. That's on How much did how much did you pay for that? Like 25. That's got to be like a child's one, right? Well, I mean, that dude, it, that dude, uh, that dude put it around his waist, though. It's it's oh, it, almost as long as my title belt is. Um, huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look in the video, I'm not a small dude, and it reaches from my neck to my shoulder. I mean, it's not as I'm big gonna, as the. I'm actual. gonna buy one of these things then. Yeah, I think I'm gonna get one too. Because <laughs> I was telling Shad, like, I almost like. If you watch the video, it is like it it's it I'm not I'm not saying this like disparagingly, but it's a very shitty looking belt, but that actually makes it charming. Mm-hmm. So, okay, for the record, on the WWE site under replicas, there's a $350 one. Incidentally, it looks like it's made out of plastic. That's $50 less than the sustainable title as well. So, Let's be honest. What's what's going to be the, you know, if you're going to do that, you you want to make the right choice. Um, but the, yeah, it's the toy title is what it is. That's what it's it on on WWE shop. It's listed as the twenty four seven championship toy title, and there's no there's nothing hard to it. Like all the plates are are cloth and the strap is uh it's it, it's foam with cloth over it it's five millimeter thick neoprene and gold applique plates god their shape is terrible yeah it's 38 inches uh long hey, you and, know i i would rather spend 25 dollars for that than 350 for the actual replica yeah and yeah, it's more insane. fun because so people ask me about that. They're like, why did you buy that? And all weekend, what I would do, or all that Saturday, is I would take it, and I'd look at them, and I'd just kind of throw it on the floor, and I'd be like, nothing breaks this way. But um, the video, Nightmage and I have known each other for a few years. Nightmage oh, back-ordered. Is, yeah, Nightmage is, at least in the cosplay world, he is very well known for, first of all, being a very nice guy, and second, doing a lot of charity stuff. And he gets advertised on these con sites as being there. Yeah, he's 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 a big deal, but he's a super nice guy, and he did and you know this guy guest, before. Yeah, you did. Yeah I've, yeah, I've known him for a few uh, years. I'm looking through his Twitter right now, and some of his cosplays are amazing. His um, and his he, Martian Manhunter was outstanding. I saw a picture yeah. of that, and I'm like, that is some quality work. If he cannot do a costume for under two hundred fifty dollars, he doesn't do it. Wow. Yep. I mean, there's one of him as uh, Raiden from Mortal Kombat, and it's been yep. phenomenal. Yes, he's and also helped by the fact that he's like an in shape guy. He's like a big. He's got. He's like a big dude with muscles. He's he's about <laughs> six feet tall, and he's in shape. He's yeah. uh, he's he's actually a sheriff's deputy. Really, uh, day job. Yes, but awesome. he's super. He is a super nice guy, and I can't I, I can't say enough nice things about the guy. Really, and he's he's also so talented. By the way, that's not uh, Raiden. That's Kung Lao. 
No, he might have a Raiden too. No, he's got a Raiden. He definitely has a Raiden. I saw it on his uh, Twitter page. But he does he does a lot of stuff with foam. And when it, I, I went to go see him because if we're going to be at the same event, I always go say hi. And he said, "What are you doing this weekend?" I said, "Well, I got a twenty four seven title with me tomorrow." And he said, "We have to shoot something." Who might argue with Night Mage? We're going to do this, and uh, yeah, there's the Raiden. You're right, and and so we did, and so it was Crunk from the Emperor's New Groove smacking Mick Foley over the head with a uh, with a, a serving tray and stealing the title, and, and shenanigans ensued. Well, I believe he smacked you on the head because you said it looked stale, and you weren't eating that crap. And then he yes, his his spinach you. puffs. Yes, I said I was not eating his spinach uh, puffs. And he whacked me on the head, and just, just it's 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 just goofy fun. Go watch it. You know, and you should enjoy I it. I don't know if you did it intentionally, but you really had the Mick Foley um, limp down pretty well when you were chasing him. That's that is intentional. Yeah, I worked really hard to get that limp right. Like, because I've I've seen I went to Foley's comedy show, and you actually have it down surprisingly well. Thank you. Like I said, I worked really hard to get that right. I was afraid to ask you, like, oh, I hope because I know like your your neck and stuff's like screwed from your wrestling. And I was like, oh, I hope he's doing that like on purpose. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's uh, it, it's I, I have costumes for all three faces of Foley. I have to retire my mankind though um, because he signed my mask. So I can't really wear it anywhere anymore. <laughs> I was going to say but, um, the advantage, too, of having the toy belt is like if you had the real thing, you wouldn't want to screw around with it because you spent 400 bucks on it. So you don't yeah. want it to get broken. Exactly. I, I even had a debate on whether or not I was going to take Cactus Jack or I was going to dig out my old gear to do this. Um, and it, it's better that I took Cactus because people recognize it. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's more fun that way, but yeah, that was a good time. And maybe in, in further, uh, further events, we'll do more. Uh, I think if, if I'm going to event night mage is going to be there, I'll probably bring it back just so we can continue to goof off. Uh, I think, I think <laughs> if, I think if fun. you go back and you have your 24 seven belt, you need to get a friend to go with you cosplaying as a referee to count. I was going to, um, but he had to cancel at the last minute. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So anyway, that's just silly fun, and um, we're gonna get check it out. You'll have you know, if if you have any kind of sense of humor, you'll you'll have some fun. Um, my my new goal now, since you've said that, is if somehow we could meet up in person and go to a con. <laughs> I volunteer to, to wear the referee shirt, and we're just going to go try and find people to pin you, and you win it back. <laughs> that was my rule. People ask me about it. They're like, how are you going to do a thing with it? I'm like, my rule is i got to get my belt back, guys. You, but, should, you should come to Columbus, and, and we should see if we can get, like, Devon, like, if he'll do it for, like, 25 bucks. <laughs> it was I mean... <laughs> We go to one of these cons. I'll slip like Virgil a fifty to, to <laughs> oh, do the deed. Come on, you're way overpriced yourself. Virgil would do it for twenty five dollars and like a subway sandwich. He'll do it for uh, maybe like fifteen and some meat sauce from yes. Olive Garden <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a beer. That, 
that's a that's a callback that uh, I know that. Yeah, I know. It's like it's oh, like yeah, it's like Some Virgil. Here, here. here's some fresh Olive Garden breadsticks. Like, you want to do this deal <laughs> with the title? He demands some money too, but uh, it it would still be funny, I think. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll we'll keep that we'll keep that in the back of our minds, and uh, hopefully we'll have some more fun with it soon. But. To get to the meat of the episode tonight, recently we did an episode where Brad compiled his list of top ten play-by-play guys. And we had a lot of fun discussing back and forth. And so um, we switched up. And Matt has compiled a list of the top ten color commentators. So we're going to discuss on this list, but uh, Professor, since you made this list... And that nickname's probably not going anywhere because I, I tend to hang on to things like that. Um, why don't you? Uh, why don't you give us a? Uh, do you want to go one by one and discuss it, or do you want to do the whole list and then we go from the bottom up? Uh, whatever you guys prefer. And I will say this: this list was actually kind of hard for me to put together mm-hmm. because I have like two or three. I have about, I would say at least three that I really like, really like, and then I, I don't know. I feel like. Color commentators, while I think they are very important, uh, for some reason they've never like grasped me mm. more than the play-by-play guys. I feel like you need to have a really good play-by-play guy, and you need to have a great color guy is great because they can add a whole lot of like interaction, and the play-by-play guy can play off of them. It can add a whole lot of humor, uh, but they, I feel like they're less important. Mm. But that's just in my mind. It's just like so. I mean, again, I have, like, my top two. And then after that, it's like, I have guys that I like and guys I think are on this list deservedly, but it's they're less important to me than someone like... Well, we went through the whole play-by-play. Yeah. I don't know. So this was this was a little tough for me, but it I don't know. Can... Sounds, it sounds like, Matt, you're saying that you need you need both ingredients to make, make something really good. I mean, th- my top two, I think, are the best of all time, and I think that the some of the best or at least most entertaining commentary came with these two guys interacting off some uh, uh, other people. But okay. uh, I don't know. I can, I can do one by one or I can just, maybe I'll just do the whole list. Well, wait, wait, um, okay. well before we get to the list, like what kind of ended up yeah. being your criteria of someone like maybe like a nine or a 10, making it over someone that would be like an 11 or a 12. Did you, or did you just kind of go by gut? I kind of just went by gut, but also just people who, in in their own way, I found either interesting or entertaining, or I thought did a pretty good job. So again, I, I kind of have said like I think the play by play person is more important, but mm-hmm. if you have a good color guy, they have a job too, and partly their job is to try and more than the play by play guy to get specific people over or advance specific angles by pointing out certain things. Uh, so I also kind of included in my list people who I felt did that at least at points in their career. Okay. Um, okay. So I, don't, I can go, I can go down the whole list or I can do it individually. Either one. I think the struggle too with color is guys do it intermittently. So some, a guy might do it in a territory and you really love them, but then they pop up in like WWE 10 years later and Piper is like the guy I'm thinking of for this. 
Mm-hmm. And then they're just absolutely atrocious, like no redeeming qualities whatsoever. And then that kind of, you're just kind of like, ugh. Like, it just kind of yeah, changes I, their whole. As much as I generally really uh, loved Piper, because I actually think Piper was a, just a great, like, overall worker. Mm-hmm. I, I did not like him as commentary. I remember when I was a kid and they would have him do some of those WWE shows. I thought he was terrible. I thought he was. He like he really was like over the top, and it was it was too much. Yeah, I didn't I care agree. for him at all. He was good in Georgia for some reason, but not in. Um... See, I haven't seen enough of that earlier stuff. Mm. I can give a. Do you want me to do person by person? Let's do. Or, yeah, let's, yeah, let's do person by person, and then we'll get into some shout outs because there is a special person that needs his own section in this. Uh, we're we're in agreement on that. Yes. Um, I have another shout out. Should I just do my one shout out before that person? Sure. Go for it. Uh, he might. This might be a polarizing choice, but I have a, a an honorable mention. I actually liked Randy Savage as a color commentator. Uh. <laughs> I thought I thought he was like. He was over the top, but he could occasionally be fun. My problem with him is my my longest recollection of him was when it was Vince Savage and Rob Bartlett. Oh, yeah. And um, I I just wanted to kill myself. (laughs) Don't hold back, Brad. Oh, Bartlett was terrible. He was bad. (laughs) Was there ever any explanation as to why they gave him that gig other than just Vince thought it would be nice to have this, like, comedian on? I have no idea. He was terrible, though. Well, it's... I presume he was there for comedic benefit, but he didn't even know anything about the product. No. And he didn't even try. Like, take someone... He's not on my list, but take someone like Steve McMichael, Mongo. Yeah. Obviously, I think they were just putting him in that slot to kind of get people familiar with him as he was trained to become a, a, a worker. But he at least tried to get people over. He tried to, like, do the job. Mm-hmm. You can argue whether he was really competent at it or not. But he wasn't. Bartlett, Bartlett was just, like, occasionally he would make, like, a dumb joke. And that didn't even, like, it was basically, like, he was flopped every, every time he was on color commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing was, I think he was only on, like, maybe at most 12 episodes of raw but it literally feels mm-hmm. like he was on that show for like six months uh, honestly right now if you if you had asked me like how long was he on i would have said like oh he was on like i don't know the first year of raw no, i don't know it was only like three months it, it's not it seemed like a long time now, now i will say i will say in rob bartlett's defense if i had the choice between if i could save one and have to run the other other one ever with my car, I would kill Mark Madden before I would kill Rob Bartlett. <laughs> and I wouldn't even think twice about it. Right. Okay, sorry. That you're just the phrasing on that cracked me up. <laughs> so Okay. Um what was the other honorable mention or shout out? That do we, uh, do we want to go into it or do you want to wait? Okay, we'll wait. We'll wait. That's fine. Who okay. do you have as number ten on your list? Uh, so my list is kind of arbitrary. So if, if, if there are people out there in the listening audience who disagree or they they disagree with the the rankings, that's totally fine. Uh, my number ten uh, TNA's Don West. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought Don West actually did a pretty good job. 
when he was back with TNA, like it was kind of shocking because obviously he's someone who has a background just hawking crap on the shopping network or one of those, you know, one of those type of like home shopping networks. Yeah. I don't know if he specifically was with one over the other. I think he was QVC. QVC, okay. Yeah, I don't even know which ones are I don't know, even out it, there anymore. Well, no, that might not be true because I think QVC might have come later because it might because there used to be like the Home Shopping Network and I think that became QVC. Yeah. I know he was big though. Like, this is going to be really outdated, but there was a time when like baseball trading cards were really big and they sold those all the time and he did those a lot. Oh yeah. Um, just for for what it's worth. West worked for the Shop at Home Network. <laughs> so it wasn't even one of the big two that we were just talking about. Be dialing! <laughs> that right there is a, an inside joke for Brad. Yes. but it, So these old shows, like, they would, like, um, they would just go through these cards like, oh, yeah, we're going to throw in, like, a Bo Jackson rookie card. And you're like, what? And, and all these cards are worth absolute garbage now because they overproduce them. So, yeah. Right, right. But at the time, you think this is a huge deal. Oh, yeah. comic books used to be on there, too. Yeah, well, the death of Superman kind of, oddly enough, kind of ruined that. So. Yes. But, yeah, Don, Don West, he signed on to TNA pretty early. He was there from day oh. one. Yeah. Uh, and I know a lot of people were like, what, you really? Like, you're giving it to this guy? Like, this guy has no background in wrestling. But he not only, like, acclimated himself well, he actually, in my opinion, did a pretty decent job. He tried to get people over. He was, like, endearing. He was funny. He, he, he would get super excited. Uh-huh. He would impart a certain energy to like what was going on on the TV. Like a lot of guys can be obnoxious, but there is another person that was successful at doing this unintentionally. Where I think uh, Don West was successful at doing it is that he could impart yeah. his energy to you during. Stuff. Yeah, he he made it. He was fun to listen to because he would get really into stuff. And he would sell guys if if it if there was a segment where he needed to be surprised, he would be surprised. If he was like supposed to be shocked, he would express it. Like he did bring like an energy to it, and it actually made it more fun. And when they replaced him eventually with I think Taz, oh, uh, it just it wasn't as fun. Yeah, I don't, Taz yeah. is not on my list. But I, I mean, I I think Don West, in my opinion, he makes it on the list because I. I did think he imparted something, like you said, that really made it, it, it elevated the product, which I think that's to the extent that I have a criteria. I think that's one of the that's one of the elements of criteria. Does he actually elevate the product or what you're trying to get over? And I think he did. I mean, he may not have been the absolute best. Like he's not on my top of my list. There's two people near the top who I think exemplified it. But mm-hmm. he did a great job. I thought I thought he did a, a pretty fine job. He came back for a show a couple years ago, and like it really, it really made that show better. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have I have a funny, a slightly funny Don West story. Uh, when I was in Vegas over Memorial Day for Double or Nothing, uh, I was with a couple friends of mine, and we were we were wandering around Starcast uh, Two, I think it was Starcast Two, and 
I noticed like there was a dude who was like off to the side and he was selling like Starcast and double or nothing like t-shirts and merchandise and things like that. And he was like really loud. And he was like, if you walked by, he'd like call out to you and be like, Hey, we got t-shirts here. This is half price, whatever. And I, I walked by him a couple of times, like looking at the merch and everything. And I'm like, you know, why does that guy seem familiar? And then <laughs> literally like, I like walk past for like the second or third time I walked past the, the table. I'm, I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> that's Don West. And it was Don West was behind the merch stand hawking merch and he still had it he was like he was totally being like the showman and totally being the salesman i uh i do love that um the guy whose job it was to sell overpriced crap was so good at selling live action stuff without being (laughs) annoying you know, yeah. he would have been because he would have been great, like doing the Mean Gene like event center thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, Don West is not a small guy though, so I'd be, I'd think they might be concerned about about putting some people next to him, and they'd be like, hey, he's not even as big as Don West is. We can't be. That, that's my theory on why they have the people who do the. Um, uh, why they have the the backstage interviewers? Who it is they have do it? You know what's funny though is Bobby Heenan was huge. Like you don't think of that with Bobby Heenan, but he was like six one or something like crazy. Well, I mean, he worked before he became a, he was a worker before he became a manager. So yeah, but I mean, he's he's true. like you just don't think of Bobby Heenan as being like a big guy, and then like you see his stats, you're like, holy crap, that dude's like actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, who do we have? I mean, I don't have a whole lot of experience with West. I know he, he worked real hard. So let's move on to the next person on your list here, Matt. Okay, so I have my number nine. Uh, I have Don Callis. This is a great uh, pick. Formally known. In as a when he was a worker as uh, the Jackal when he was back with the WWF as part of the Truth Commission, yeah. Then he then he was the leader of the Oddities. Then he moved over to ECW as uh, he became Cyrus the Virus. Cyrus the uh, Virus, yeah. Which is actually where he first kind of got uh, exposure as a commentator, uh, uh-huh. but that's not how I'm choosing. I'm not choosing him for that. Uh, I'm choosing him because ever since I believe 2017, I think. Uh, he is he has been the color guy for uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, their uh, English commentary team. Oh, really? Uh, that's primarily where I've heard him do uh, color commentary, uh, and I actually feel he's done a pretty exceptional job. He has done a great job getting over guys like Kenny Omega, who he's actually like real life friends with. He did a great job uh, putting over guys like Chris Jericho, who he's also good friends with. Uh, but just in general, I think he, again, part of the criteria, like, are you getting over the product? Are you getting over angles? Are you getting over specific guys? I actually think he does a pretty good job of that. He can actually sell what's going on. And it's, I think it's really helpful in particular with New Japan because New Japan, the wrestling, just general Japanese wrestling, it is a different style. It's a different kind of culture, a different attitude or approach to the, the work. So, so sometimes I feel like in his commentary, he's able to kind of navigate 
those cultural differences and explain for an English audience who maybe isn't as exposed to it or doesn't know some of the idiosyncrasies or is used to a more American style, he can kind of get over the ideas and motivations of some of the Japanese workers. Like, for example, like since the strong style, they try to present it more as almost like a real sport or a fighting competition, that sort of thing. Like he can get that over to, he can kind of convey that to the American audience where it's like, oh, look, he's, he's targeting, you know, this body part for this reason or that. I think he does a pretty good job with that. And he also, I think what he's also kind of running impact right now. He's also any, there you know, like, like play by play. He's also the, the impact play by play guy. Oh, is he? I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of impact lately. He's like, so he does like play, but he's, he's more of the play by play guy, but he, he's mm-hmm. a heel play by play guy that plays it fairly straight. Yeah. Huh. I know he was doing a lot of behind the scenes, like booking yeah. and things like that. Yeah. I was going to say, I really appreciate your description because I, I haven't gotten to watch his new Japan stuff, but mm-hmm. his, just your description of how he does his, um, how he he does stuff about talk, talking about the targeting and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That sounds like something I would really enjoy. He um, yeah. He also so was it, uh, slated when um when uh, when WCW was going to go dark and come back. He was slated to be the color guy for that. Oh really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be Joey Styles is play by play and him is color. Wow! Wow! Really? I don't think I ever heard that story. I didn't either. There's a lot of rumors at the time um, about some of their plans. Oh wow! I, I just I knew there was stuff happening, but I I didn't um I didn't have an idea of of like I never heard about the commentary team. Um, so that's that's really interesting. I learned something very new. I think they were going to get Rob Van Dam too. Well, I mean, Van Damme was just so over. How could you not try and pick him up? Yeah. There's there's a lot that there's a lot that I wish had come together, just so <laughs> I, I could have seen the product they came up with because I thought it could have been really, really interesting. Um, but you know, if wishes were fishes, we'd all be eating fish. I, I have sadly not heard his New Japan commentary because, um, well, I've, I I got into New Japan in the early 2000s, so I've always listened to the Japanese commentary. So when I watch New Japan on New Japan World, I always pick the Japanese commentary because it's what I'm used to. Oh, okay. It's not a bad choice. Uh, I usually like to do that, but I have, I have kind of mostly listen to the English one, at least for like the big shows. If it's one of their smaller shows that they have thrown up on a uh, new Japan world, uh, I'll just, I may just have the Japanese commentary. Uh, they've gotten, but otherwise I, I mm-hmm. they've gotten better about putting English on most of the shows. Now it's not just the big shows. Even yeah. Some of like the B shows get. Yeah. Well, cool. So ready to go on to, uh, number eight. Yes. Yeah. What do we have? Who do we have at? Who do we have at number eight? So my number eight, uh, and this is something because again, as I've said many times before on uh, the podcast, I started watching wrestling uh, with WCW, 
Uh, and I, I was always kind of more of a WCW fan, so I saw a lot of him <laughs> as a color oh, guy. Oh and, snap! And it all, it always like I always loved him. He wasn't the best, but he had <laughs> a really endearing quality. Talking about okay. American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, yeah, the, mother, the mothership pony, the mothership. Many, many a Saturday night when I was younger and wasn't really going out and doing a whole lot because I was still a kid. So I wasn't like actually going on dates or hanging out with friends. So I was on, at home on a Saturday night. I'd be watching WCW Saturday night, the mothership. And the I would mothership. see uh, Dusty Rhodes doing color commentary with Tony Schiavone. Yeah. Uh, calling uh, mostly jobber matches, but sometimes, you know, they would have really awesome matches. You'd have like, uh, I don't know, Arn Anderson against, uh, I don't know, like Alex Wright or something. And you'd have like, an amazing 25 20 minute match or something like that uh and it'd be awesome and it was always great because you know he had a lot of dusty isms like taking him to the pay window and yes or pay window. everyone's favorite clubbering did you clubber it tony <laughs> or well, uh, we, we can't forget that he's got a bicycle i don't know got where a bicycle. he got a bicycle, got a bicycle tony I don't know where the kid that was riding it from, but in, well, Bubba's going to the women's bathroom. They in the women's bathroom, Tony. Oh, that was <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite. Calling back to when we watched Great American Bash, nineteen ninety six. They're in the women's bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I you. I mean, obviously, people who know Dusty know that Dusty is going to be the kind of person who is. He's very much about trying to make the moment engaging, right? I mean, because Dusty was just incredibly smart and good at what he was doing. And he's he's trying to, um, you know, he's, he's trying to impart excitement, even for, for, for smaller stuff. And it, 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 it was, if, if you weren't familiar with him, it could be kind of hard to get into, as uh, as I once heard uh, uh, Cornette say in an interview. He'd be like, "He pancaked in there. He flapjacked in there, honey. We're gonna have pancakes tonight." And the 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 closed caption reader would just quit, like when Dusty was talking, because he's like, "I don't, I don't know what's what's going. I never mind. I'm waiting for someone else to start talking." But he would impart again, like you were talking about with West, this enthusiasm into it that was very, um, I'm not going to say contagious, but it, it really got you to pay attention. One of my favorites with him is I don't remember the show. I think it was, um, like the first or second super brawl. They brought in Joshi workers and, um, dynamite. Mike can comes out and Dusty's like, Hey Jr. Like I'm gonna get you like a, I'm gonna get you a date with her after this match, and um, <laughs> and she starts like kicking like the absolute crap out of this woman. Dusty's like, "Ooh, Jim, I might not get you a date with her after all." <laughs> Dusty could go into weird like nonsensical tangents sometimes too, but again, it was it was it was so much fun. He had again like he he had an energy that he brought, and it was it was fun. A lot of times it was lighthearted. I don't know. It just, I found it very, very endearing. So I think yeah. he, uh, well, what he lacked in a certain, um, I guess, technical <laughs> expertise with regards to color commentary, he just made it fun. So he's on my list. Uh, I, I can't blame you. 
I mean, there's, there's, Dusty is just Dusty commentary. Uh, he has a, his own segment in Botchamania. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the insane Dusty commentary where Dusty just kind of takes off in some direction and you don't know where it's going or when you're going to get there, but you're going along for the ride anyway. Sometimes, but sometimes though, when something's like dull, you kind of need that weird stuff. Like we've talked about it before. And I think we even talked about it on the play by play episode, but from yeah. the same school of commentary, like Stevie Ray, like not technically yeah. proficient at all, but like, you don't necessarily remember things he commented. You just remember some of like the things he said because it was hilarious. Do you yeah, uh, do you know Brad? Suckers got to know. Suckers got to know. <laughs> and all them yaks. Yeah, and fruit booty. You can yes. forget fruit booty. We can't forget about them fruit booties. <laughs> you know, he gets a lot. I think he gets hate, but he was fun too. I mean, he wasn't trying. It, it, he wasn't trying to be anything special. He, but he, you remember it literally like 20 years yeah. later, you remember it, Stevie Ray's stint on commentary because he made it kind of fun. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really important. I think a, a lot of people miss out on that or, or some people will, will hate on it and be like, Oh, this guy, he doesn't take anything seriously. It's like, you know what? So we went, we went through a phase or that it used to be in wrestling that, that funny was funny funny didn't draw money but as it turns out now it absolutely does and we're we're in this place where funny sells and funny gets people engaged i think that's one of those things though that people that complain about they're not being kayfabe don't understand is that cave well okay the people that complain about kayfabe being broken, like, if you go back to the 40s, people already knew what was up as far as wrestling goes. Like, there was, they were talking about something with Groucho Mark, like, on the, Groucho Marks on the radio, like, making fun of someone about mm-hmm. wrestling being fake. So, yeah, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's, like, some new phenomenon and even like some of the insider lingo like face and heel like is not um the the way those terms are used are not exclusive to wrestling especially heel but um especially not anymore yeah but so people being smartened up really opens you up to being a little more free and experimental with the form because people are more willing to come along with you yeah well i mean if we just if we just consider what we do on this podcast, how often do we break into something silly or funny? It's it's fun to do, and, you know, if everything was super serious all the time, it would get boring. So, what the hell? Have a little fun with it. So then, um, Kill the conversation? No, we're good. <laughs> I, I was thinking about... Because I, I listen to Jim Cornette's drive through and he tells the story every now and then about how he mentioned the Challenger in some promo and how Dusty's like, do it again, kid. Don't mention the Challenger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd have to go hunt that down. I haven't heard that one. Okay, now I got to know, Matt, who is it you have 
to top the American Dream? Who's going to top Dusty, baby? So my next, uh, my next pick, uh, and I want to, I have to clarify this one. This was uh, not in, I guess, one of his later incarnations as a color commentator because he's had a few stints with the WWE. Uh, but my number, wait, what number am I at right now? My number seven, I believe. Number seven, yeah. Would be uh, John Bradshaw Layfield, JBL. So we're, we're okay. talking. We're talking about the pre-Maggle uh, days, I right? Maggle. <laughs> Maggle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when he first started, started as a color commentator, I thought he actually did a really good job. I thought he, when he was working, uh, he worked with Michael Cole, I think, most of the entire time. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then he left for a bit, and then when he came back, I think ever since when he came back, he kind of it, it, it really wasn't great. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was Vince in his ear. Or I mean, so much of what the WWE has done with their commentary has been atrocious oh, over the last few years because it's not even just it, the quality is bad or just Vince in the ear. It's it just like they have to get in. The stupid little nicknames and catch catchphrases that Vince wants them to say. It's like, you know, say WWE Universe. Yeah, they're, they're not the fans big, anymore. The big dog. Or, it's yeah. like, okay. or Michael Cole. Every time Sasha Banks comes out, it's boss time, and I just want to stab him with a fork. Yeah, um, I, I have a theory that commentate color guys, especially. Color guys get, to use a TV tropes term, get flanderized whenever they have something that really stands out. So you guys had mentioned that uh, Corey Graves has gone from being really good color guy to, to being like kind of over the top in a lot of cases. I don't think. And then JBL when he came back. See, I disagree. Uh, I've never cared much for Corey Graves, and I think. I don't think Corey Graves has gotten flanderized so much as that he's just gotten so far up his own ass that he's become useless. Well, that might yeah. be the case. I actually think I actually did like Corey Graves at one point. I thought he was pretty good. He was probably the best guy that they had on their commentary team for a time, which may have been a low bar, but still I thought he was good, but you're right. Like he, I don't know what it is. I don't know if, I don't know if I could say it's, because he's up his own ass, maybe. If you, but yeah, he he's gone downhill a lot. I, I would blame it on production, but sometimes when I come across his like twitterings, like he seems very far up his own ass. Well, the what I was gonna say is that um, it, it it seems to me that there are a lot of color guys who end up being, um, like I said, flanderized. It it's. It's it's almost like hearing, oh no no, you're wacky. There's there's good shit in here, and it's like, no no no, I want you to I want you to to call you know, talk about how much fun they're having JBL and stuff like that, and it's like, eh, God seriously, and it it just it's exhausting, right? Yeah, I think I think what stood out to me about JBL in that original incarnation of SmackDown is one, it actually got me to watch SmackDown every week for like I think the six to eight months he did it. But he mm-hmm. was he was like a work rate mark. Like he was playing heel, but he loved like Paul London and Brian Kendrick. Like he would like freak out when they came out. Heyman? No, JBL. No. Oh, JBL. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like he was like a work rate mark, like in that those initial SmackDowns. Mm-hmm. Like he'd be he was like, interesting. He'd be like 
like uh, I think London and Kendrick would come out and he'd be like, oh yeah, these guys are like great in zero ones. Like I love these guys. Like even though you know I don't agree with their attitude, like I love these guys. Yeah, and he was someone who again he could get the product over. He can get guys over. Like even if he was he was playing, he did play the heel. But he he could do that whole thing where he's explaining why someone's doing something. He's giving a rationale for their actions. Uh, if the face did something that was like inappropriate, he could call it out. It, it, I, it's something that I really like appreciated. And you're yeah. right. Like he 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 played it. It was less like over the top. Like you're almost like a comical heel at this point because you're so it's so much bullshit. I don't know. He the first run I thought was great. After that, really not so much. Yeah. And, and the worst part about that first run is they replaced him with Mick Foley, who was just awful. Yeah. Foley just did not work on commentary, and that, I, I kind of wanted him to, but it just didn't. That golly shucks thing does not work well for commentary. It just Foley has. And I would say still does, to an extent, have chops for a lot of stuff. That's just not one of them. Yeah. And the unfortunate part, I know you had mentioned in a previous episode that you look at him now and you're like, well, you know, it, I don't I don't really enjoy him as much. I feel like that there have been so many times where he was able to make chicken salad out of chicken shit on the mic. And then they, so they kept relying on him to do that, <laughs> that eventually there were just too many cases of things not working and falling apart that it kind of cast a, um, it, it cast a shadow over, you know, what he was and put a bad taste in people's mouth. You know who doesn't get any credit for being great on color? He hasn't done it much, but the few times he has done it, he's been really great, is Kevin Nash. The only memory I have of Nash is the the time he spent the... He spent so much time doing color congratulating himself for, for not having to work and just sitting in the booth and talking. He did some in and, TNA. Um, he did at okay. one of the bound for glories. He did like an X division battle Royal and he was really good in that. I'll be honest with you guys. It, it, there was a time when I was working, I, even if I didn't have much to do, I wanted to be able to do, uh, I wanted to give, uh, doing color a shot. And that's not something that ever came together, but I, I wanted to try it and see how I could do at it. Cause it intrigued me. Um, because I like, you know, having having someone who was a wrestler on commentary for exactly what we were talking about. You explain why and and that sort of stuff. But sorry, a little tangent there. All right, so that's JBL first run JBL. Yeah, not not the sequel. He's, mm-hmm. he's a he's not a mixed, JBL two electric boogaloo. Yeah, he's a, he's a mixed bag because of that. He got so bad. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And then, so that means that from seven, we go into six. And who do you have at six, Matt? My number six is someone who, uh, if you actually look at his tenure as color commentary, or at least what I'm uh, kind of putting up there is the run I'm looking at. It was very actually short. 2001, uh, Paul Heyman, color commentary team with Jim Ross. Uh, 
right around the time that WCW and ECW both folded and were bought by Vince McMahon. Uh, Heyman was the color guy with with JR uh, for most of 2001, and then eventually left. Uh, this was just after like Lawler um, was replaced. He replaced Lawler. I actually thought that the JR Paul Heyman team was fascinating, and I thought Heyman did a tremendous job. Uh, predominantly because I mean Heyman is obviously may not have been the best businessman when it came to actually like running the business of a promotion. <laughs> but in terms of his ideas, <clears throat> his booking ideas, generally I think he's a like, super bright guy, and I think he did a really great job. I mean, when he stepped away from color commentary and they had him actually booking things like SmackDown, that's when you got like the SmackDown 6 in 2002. Uh, around that time, we had awesome matches. We had great booking. The guy knows his stuff, and when he was a color guy... He could actually bring that to the table and did. He would actually kind of sell angles, sell storylines, sell guys. Like that would he really to me again, that kind of was what exemplifies a great color guy, and he did that job fairly well. And I was kind of sad that only like a year is how long he lasted. But Heyman is kind of like a tough guy to pin down. Like he they, they bring him back occasionally for stuff. I guess he's back now. Yeah. Uh, kind of consulting for raw yeah, because uh, that... but he always kind of like floats in and out like he, he he never seems to like gel too long with Vince for any extended period that god awful <laughs> maria pregnancy angle have has his fingerprints all over it yeah not everything's gonna be gold that, that, no. that, there's I, been more good than bad i was gonna lately. say he actually did a decent amount of like color commentary in um wcw he did back in the day. Uh, he did some as uh, Paul E. Dangerously. Yeah, and I, I love it. I love the Danger Zone. <laughs> I remember that. The other thing I love is um, have you, have you guys seen a lot of like when he was managing like the Samoan SWAT team? I've Only seen a some. Little I haven't bit. seen a ton. Yeah, the yeah. promos are great because like. One of the Samoans will always have, like, his cell phone, because this is, like, 89, so his cell phone, like, you could probably kill, like, a small animal with it. Yeah. I mean, he used it as a foreign object, and it was believable, but he'd be cutting these, like, yeah. great promos, <laughs> and, like, the, the the Samoans, like, would be sitting there with his phone, like, just, like, randomly, like, poking at the buttons like they'd never seen a phone before. It was great. Right. I have to, uh, uh, one, there's, there was an instance that stuck out in my mind that really exemplified what Heyman was good at doing color. He's in the booth with Jim Ross, and there was going to be a title match, Kurt Angle defending against Booker T. And they're talking about this, and um, Heyman says, the problem is with Angle's surgically repaired neck, how is that going to hold up against a man whose finish is a kick to the back of the head? And all in just that one thing... Suddenly, you know, it brings it to the forefront where everyone's like, oh, shit, this could be really bad for Kurt. And, you know, this level of, of drama that comes in, he's so good at selling on people's strengths that I thought it made him very good in, um, you know, in the commentary. I also think, like, that's where WWE commentary struggles now is guys don't have that clout anymore to tell Vince no. Like, there was a JR yeah. story where Vince was, like, telling him to say something. 
and he didn't say it and he goes backstage and Vince is like, why didn't you say that? And he's like, because it was dumb. And Vince is like, well, I'm glad you didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, the, there was there was audio floating around of where um, it was only one side of it. And, and Michael Cole's listening on his headset and he pushes back on something. And then you can tell by the change in his voice and his, the word choice that Vince is ripping him a new one. So, um, it's, you just, yeah, you don't have the, the people in that position. Uh, so, we, there, that needs to come back. Someone who can be like, no, we're, we're not, I'm not saying that. Yeah. Without being in fear of their job. So, that's, that's, I, I like that. That's a good that's a really good choice. So who do we have Matt? next on the list? So uh, again, this is another one where I feel like I have to put almost like an asterisk or kind of limit, uh, limit the kind of span. Uh, my number, my next one is actually Jerry, the King Lawler, who okay. I think at times was tremendous on a uh, color commentary, especially, um, during the mid '90s, when he was kind of when when both Jesse Ventura and Bobby Heenan had already left the promotion, they kind of needed a new person to be a color guy. Uh, I've listened to an old podcast with I think Steve Austin, where Lawler claims like he was brought in to just be a worker, and literally like within a week or so of him being there, Vince came up to him and it's like, "Well, you know, can you do like one one weekend of?" Uh, of color commentary, then we'll, we'll find someone else. And then that obviously turned into like years and years with the promotion, mostly as a color guy. But I think he was great in like the mid nineties as a color guy. Uh, and then portions of the attitude era. But then once he started getting into the whole, like, pervy old man, Ooh, Ooh, pu- puppies. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, no, no, that's, that's yeah. when it really got bad. Uh, but then after that, he did have periods where he kind of resorted. He, he was less, less of a caricature. And kind of would go back to being like a decent uh, commentator. Commentator. Um, mm. Overall, I do like him. I think he did a good job. I liked uh, some of the feuds he was able to get involved with uh, during the mid '90s, like with Bret Hart, uh, that he that he built basically with his commentary. Uh, I don't know. What I, do you guys think? I think I think he also he may have done some other ones when he was. Um, back with like USWA and stuff. I just haven't seen a lot did, of that. He in, in Memphis, he was very different. Like he was very quippy and stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. when he's like, he has a very good sense of humor. Like there, like he has a very biting sense of humor when he like has it toned in. I wanted to say when you're talking about great angles, you're forgetting a hidden, like gem of a feud in like 2012, 2013, the CM Punk feud. Oh my god, I forgot about that. That they pretty much built through commentary. I think it got it got messed up. But, well, no, I think his heart attack was later. I don't, I don't. But that was real. That was a really good one. Like so like punk just like beat his ass in like a cage. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Also, the um, it, it's during his puppies phase, but like I liked when people would mess with Jr. and Lawler would stick up for him. And when he beat Taz because Jr. like oh. grabbed his candy jar and smashed it over his yeah. Taz's head, the only time he's ever had a candy jar ring. So, right. 
Right. Um, it, it's it's yeah yeah I remember that one much better. So, my, but the fact that Lawler would step up and defend Jr. was nice as well. So my my problem, I guess, with Jr. I mean, sorry, with Jerry Lawler is my disdain for the pervy old man Lawler really um, overshadows. Yeah, and pretty much I, I can see that. And, yeah, and um, I think it's the two thousand and one Royal Rumble, like where he's like really tickled about Taka eating shit, like on his um. His, um, oh, when he took that face plant off the yeah, there, I really that really I really dislike that because like Lawler is really like I don't know it, there's just something about that one that really bugged me. Yeah, there's um, there's in my head the Attitude Era sounds like Jr. and Jerry Lawler and. You could tell that they had good chemistry together, so it was there was a lot of them like building on each other. Whereas like Jr. and Heyman had kind of this bickering thing going on, Jr. and Lawler had kind of this buddy thing going on, and so I liked that. And like you said, when he wasn't in the the in in perv mode, um, then it was. Uh, you know, it, it it was good, and I liked his color. But you know, on the other hand, it got it gets to the point where the common jokes are you know, <laughs> you hear about all the miners that got released from where they were stuck. That's because Jerry Lawler unlocked his front door and stuff like that. Um, so you know, I, I completely understand with it taking away. But on the other, when he was good, he was really good. If you want, if you want a real uh, trip. And a real novelty. If you can track down the XWF couple of episodes that have made it out, the commentary team is Tony Schiavone and Jerry Lawler. Really? Yes. That was if that's the, if the XWF wow, okay. would have survived, that would have been their commentary team. Now that's interesting. And I think there's. I have, I think I have three episodes on DVD. Yeah, I think there's three episodes out there. Now I'm fascinated by that. <sighs> okay, so uh, that that's gonna stick in my head for a while now. This is this is the one like I've I've liked all your picks so far. This is probably the one guy like if I was making the list wouldn't have made my list just because like I said my. My disdain for pervy old man Lawler really just overrides all the other good qualities he has. Mm. I can't disagree. I mean, he that that really got very tiresome over time, and it went on for a long time. So yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So who do you have in your next slot? Uh, this is I'm gonna go back to WCW, uh, a longtime color commentator. Uh, when his in-ring career basically started to wind down, mm-hmm. but that would be uh, the living legend Larry Zbysko. Larry Zbysko, I like that choice. Yeah, he always he always seemed like he was basically like the B uh, crew color commentator, but he did a ton of the color commentary for <laughs> WCW, especially in the '90s. 
yeah. when he was first time he was obviously there he, as a worker with the Dangerous Alliance, but when that kind of ended, they kind of transitioned him more into a a color spot. Although he did come back and do some feuds, like with William Regal. Uh, didn't he also Scott have a feud? At, yeah, Scott Hall. Um, he ended that. I think he set X Pac packing from WCW. Yeah. Did he? Because I think X Pac interfered in a match and like Larry did like his chokehold on him. Okay. And he was also yeah. I think he was playable in one of the WCW N sixty four games. Oh probably. Okay. Don't say this because now I'm gonna have to go look. I, I love that here's the thing that I enjoyed most about Zabisco, and I like this choice. I don't know if I would have him all the way up at number four. But I do like this choice is Zabisco would kind of he would go from practical uh, discussion as a color guy and a, a former wrestler to uh, it was like waxing philosophical. It's a game of human chess. And sometimes you just pick up the board and hit the other guy with it, you know, and <laughs> I, I don't know. I, the fact that he would kind of swing back and forth seemed really fitting for me. I, I, I liked, I think he did the, the color commentary for like the first hour of Nitro, and then they swapped to Nay in, if that's right. I believe that was correct, yeah. And so, and he, I, Human Game of Chess was like his tagline. Yeah he, yeah, he used that quite a lot, yeah. And so I found myself in this, I actually, I, I was both. I was kind of glad to hear Tanae hit the booth because he had that third man expertise stuff. But I was sad to see Larry go. Yeah. And I, I love, like, like we've said so many times, Zabisco being so good at talking about, well, this is what he needs to do in this situation, or or this yeah. is the. I love that. And that's that's something that you usually will get, or a lot of times you'll get from, uh, from color commentators who previously were workers. Yeah. They offer that sort of insight into what's going on in the ring that. You as the you know just the fan the the non wrestler lay person it kind of like it explains to them the motivations of the actual workers which I think helps to get over both the work it helps to get over the workers it kind of makes it more realistic even though obviously this is a uh, what's the stupid line performance fighting <laughs> oh <God>. whatever <laughs> the new the new catchphrase I, they're trying to do I, instead of sports I, entertainers I'm gonna be honest with you I really hate that line. Oh, I hate it too. What is um, it? What is, I hate anything that's not just pro wrestling. Yeah, I, I me too. Um, but yeah, he would able he would he would explain it. He'd be like, "Well, you know, he's doing this thing for this reason. He's going yeah. after this body part because he's setting up uh, the figure four or something like that." Yeah. And I always love that. I think that it added to the the realism. Obviously, you're supposed to suspend disbelief, but to the extent that you need to, I think trying to present it as more realistic or as a, a fighting sport, uh, presenting it in that way can kind of help with that. You don't have to do as much. You can be like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course he would want to take a chair and slam it into the guy's knee to set up, to set up the figure four. That makes perfect sense. I just really thought it added a lot. So uh, I did like Larry. I think Larry actually added... Uh, he's kind of, I feel, almost underrated. People don't probably put him on their list. They mostly think about some of the other people we've either talked about or are going to talk about. Uh, yeah. He's almost kind of like forgotten, I feel. I'll, I'll agree with that sentiment. Absolutely. The one thing and I always the... like that old color guys do, and I, I think it was more Heenan than him, but 
when guys would kick out at two, sometimes they'd be like, oh yeah, you know, like sometimes you, you don't need like the two count, but sometimes you, you take it so you can get that extra second, like to, to rest. To catch your breath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, we, when we did the episode a while back where we, we each picked a match that we really liked, um, Zabisco did some really great work in that, that Sting DDP match. And I can still hear some of the lines in my head is, you know, Sting's working Paige down with, with a headlock. And he's like, what Paige needs to do is use one of those long legs he's got and try to move around and hook a rope so he doesn't have to burn energy to get up. And then Sting's doing his, his running bulldog. And he goes, Sting keeps putting Paige down, but Paige keeps getting back up in the middle of the ring. Go to the ropes. Go to the ropes so you can break counts stuck in my head because it's just like well like you just said matt of course you'd want to do that and it seemed like zabisco was always a fan of wanting to see a good match unless it was the nwo and he he hated all of them but otherwise it seemed like in most cases he's like i want to see a, a good match i want to see these guys having a good match and and almost in kind of a coaching role sometimes so you know i think that's a great pick all right. So now we're down to, uh, I guess, the final three. We're down to the... Final three. We're down to the cream of the crop. We're to the Olympic podium. Who gets the bronze? Crop. Yo. Uh, I'm going to go with Jim Cornette. Okay. All right. A very irascible. <laughs> perpetually angry that, on Twitter. That's a that's a good choice of words for that. I, I like I like dropping that right he's, there. He's an interesting one because he's done a lot of commentary, but like not necessarily where you'd think you'd find it. Like I remember, especially like if you were if you were like digging up those WWB shows on like you know at two a.m. in the morning in the late nineties, like you'd probably run into him and like, uh, Michael Hayes doing commentary. Yeah. And I always enjoyed them. I think they're usually paired with Kevin Kelly, unfortunately, but, um, I always liked, I always liked when Jim Cornette would come in for commentary and Smoky mountain. Um, OVW was good because he was on commentary. Like anytime I've gotten Jim Cornette on commentary has usually been good. Yeah. It's, I think, uh, the for me, a hallmark moment for Cornette on commentary, um, and this is such a weird thing for it to be, but to have, to go back to the infamous um, Cactus Jack Mill Mascaris match, and what is Cornette doing in the course of that match is he is working to make sure that even though Cactus is doing the job, He's still getting over out of it. He's still, you know, it, he's still putting him over. And it's a, um, he's like, you know, uh, you know, uh, no human being ought to be able to get up after something like this. But Cactus Jack is doing it. And he's so good at, at putting people over over the course of the match. And it didn't matter who. Because Cornette being Cornette, it could be heels, it could be faces, whoever. But he was so good at doing that. I just, I really enjoyed it. That's a great point. That's something that all of my top three uh, do that in some fashion. Mm -hmm. That they got, they got 
people over. They they most certainly got the product over. They got the angles over. They got the workers over. And like you said, it was a Mil Mascaras was not going to be around no. after that match. But Mick Foley or Cactus Jack really was going to be there. And Jim Cornette knew his job. His job wasn't to get Mel Mascaras over. Who gives a shit about that guy? Yeah. He was there to get Cactus Jack over because he saw something in Cactus Jack, and so he did. And that's kind of like why he's on this list. He he could do that. He was super knowledgeable, obviously, about the business. So he was able to kind of get certain aspects of the business that the, the promotion or the booking committee wanted to get over. He could do that. You don't have to yeah. worry about Jim Cornette. He can do that. I yeah. thought he did a fantastic job back in the day. Uh, my my focus is really on him being color guy for uh, the NWA or Jim Crockett promotions back in the late eighties. Okay, uh, that's mostly where I've I, I've seen his work as a color guy, and I thought he did a tremendous job. Uh, he's super quick witted. Yeah. So I feel like that. Not that it's an essential element in a color guy, but you, in my opinion, like my number, my top three. They are all guys who are really quick-witted who could actually throw out a joke or throw out a comment or focus on something that happened contemporaneously. Yeah. Like, they were really good about that. Um, he was exceptional about that. He was great about getting his guys over. He was great about playing the role of a heel, not obviously as a worker, as a manager, occasionally as an in-ring worker type of person, but even on color. He did a great job where he would play his role as the heel, like clownish, uh, like persona, but yeah. still do it in a way where the face would get over. He wasn't right. just like shitting on the faces where they look like chums. He would right. do it, but he would do it in a way that was so kind of over the top that you're like, look at this loudmouth asshole talking shit. Like when the Rock and Roll Express get their hands on him, or when Dusty Rhodes actually finds out what he said. Yeah, like and I think that was like a great job because again, like he understood the business where you don't just want to trash someone because right. if you do and you beat them, what have you gained? You gained nothing. This guy yeah. was a chump and you beat him. Like so, what? You beat a chump. He was yeah. good about he was good about putting guys over even the faces. Yeah, and in a way where even if he's trashing them, it's like, well, this guy is clearly like writing a check that his mouth can't cash and he's even oh. getting his guys in trouble because he's talking mad shit yeah and you just wanted to like you wanted the face to get hit like you know make jim get his comeuppance right that was an excellent it, job i just loved it yeah and it's um you, like you said listening to him in the the nwa period it, you saying that reminded me of another great thing because in that in that period of, of Jack going up to the Mascaris match, what happened over and over again was that Cactus kept losing tag matches. Mm-hmm. And but even with that being the case, you know, he's he's beating up his tag partners for failing him every time. And in doing so, Cornette's putting him over. So no, he didn't win is even though he lost, Cornette <laughs> still put him over. And the line that stuck in my head is that, uh, what, what what was it, Nasty Nate or, or Mean Ron or whatever the guy's name, Cactus runs down the apron and drops the elbow on concrete, which still I kind of cringe even thinking about. Nasty Nate just had his pancreas punished! 
right? And there's that quick wit again, but it's also, you know, he's he's putting this guy over too. So it's it's not just whoever won goes over, right? MIF and going over. No, it's everybody. Everybody's getting the opportunity. You know, everybody's going over because it's really better business for everybody if they're um if if everybody is strong, if everybody is is doing well. Okay. So we at that made sense. Are we at, yeah. are we at number one and two now? Yeah, we're at the last two. So I think people listening are probably knowing which way we're going to go, but not who's going to be number one or number two. Right, and uh, again, this is uh, this is kind of my ranking. So if you have a different number one, number two, if you want to flip them, or you have someone else entirely, that's totally fine. But my number two would be Jesse the Mind Finchwa. <laughs> or Jesse the Body, if you remember him from back in the day. Or, right. or Mr. Conspiracy off the grid Ventura. Oh, yeah. There's... Well, you know, we can't really be trusting because of the fluoride that they put in the drinking water makes you... Sir, to sir Mike. You know, we did do him a disservice. The former governor of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura... Also yeah. true. Also, that is true. So. Did you guys accurate. ever see that shitty, like, made-for-TV movie they did about him in, like, the late 90s? Yes! Where they, like, no. yes, had no. him involved I... in, like, the Montreal Screwjob and, like, all that stuff? Well, it wasn't It wasn't the Montreal Screwjob exactly, because I think it was supposed to be older than that. But it was a Screwjob, and they did use the sharpshooter, but it was for Raven. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was it, it, they. I, God, I can't begin to. Raven was in it. Canyon was in it. Um, yeah, because I remember that they did like some. Didn't they do like some top rope pile driver move that like broke someone's neck or something? Broke the collarbone. Yeah, and it was Canyon that did the pile driver. Yeah, and oddly enough, Canyon was one of the more compelling people because he actually looked upset about it. But okay. That's one of three things that really jump out at me. From I can't believe I remember this. Oh my god! Um, there was that. There was the Jesse the Body's debut match was to defeat the champ, and it was it was it was like a Power Rangers thing because they were never in the same shot together. But it was Goldberg. They used Goldberg as the guy he was beating in his first match, who was incidentally the champ. In a push that has never happened, <laughs> with the exception of like what the giant, the giant's first match going over Hogan is that? In, am I am I remembering correctly? Uh, it depends on how podunky you get with your promotions. I'm sure. All right. Okay. But then here's the other thing: is there was a guy. It was his. <laughs> it was his last night. He was retiring. They were in his hometown. And he was like, I'd really like to go out a winner. Knowing what I know now, it's like, dude, there is no way. There is no way that you're going to pass on getting that kind of heat. You're on your way out. You're supposed to put someone on. Yeah, they want to get this new guy over named Raven. And they're, they're doing this. And Raven puts him in a sharpshooter. 
and the guy looks at Ventura, and Ventura covers the mic, covers his mic, and goes schmoz in like the really big. And then they call for the bell to say that he tapped out. And so Ventura gets fired because he goes chasing after the booker and busts through a door Kool-Aid man style. You know, you're right. That absolutely, I, that's the only part of that movie I remember. And that absolutely, like, now that I have more context to wrestling, that, that scene makes absolutely no sense because the guy that didn't want to lose is absolutely in the wrong. Yeah. Because he's not doing business. Well, look, here's the thing. When you go out, everybody who has laid down for you over this time has done you a favor. And now it's your opportunity to do a favor for everybody else. So the lineage of everything you've done can be carried forward into somebody else. So everybody you get to see on TV now is has the lineage of whoever it is that they retired on the way out. And so, uh, barring cases like what happened with Edge, you know, but the, the guy saying, no, 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 I don't want to lose in my last match ever in my hometown. It's like, dude, there is no way. There is no way that, that this would be an acceptable thing to do. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like that—that that scene makes no sense within the context of wrestling. Yeah, it, it was a dumb thing thrown in a made-for-TV movie by someone who only had a superficial understanding of, of wrestling. Anyway, Jesse on commentary. You guys did a really deep dive on a movie that I, I barely remembered existing. <laughs> this came out like about that time. Do you remember when they did that like um, that Merlin movie? I think that they did around that time too. The one with Sam Neill. Yes. Oh yeah, I remember that movie. You know what else came around in that time? Came out around that time. What? Secrets of Wrestling Reveal. Is that the one with Skull Duggery? It's Duggery? a stunt, Granny. Is that the one with Skull <laughs> Duggery too? I think so. Yes, I remember that. It had it had Harley Race with like a voice modulator talking. Was it Harley Race or was it uh, Lou Albano? I think Harley Race is on that one. Okay, let's let's talk about Jesse on on commentary, and now I gotta look this up. Okay, and I also want to say he had um, he had one of my favorite lines from Predator: "I ain't got time to bleed." Ain't got time to bleed. He he delivered that so well. Yes, like we're doing this harsh guttural thing, but to him, it's an offhanded comment. You know, I feel like I feel like he missed his mark, and if he was a better businessman, he could have weaseled himself into a GI Joe figure in that era. Oh wow, he probably could have. I mean, the fridge got one. Well, you got to consider that chewing tobacco made him into a sexual tyrannosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about everything about Jesse Ventura except his commentary. He's such, a, he's such like a package deal though <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, yeah I, I can't I can't argue with that it, it, you can't you can't take part of Ventura and not get the rest of it but uh, I, to go to go into his commentary I think one of the things I enjoy about him um, he obviously has a very different dynamic with Vince than he does with uh, Gorilla like the whole like Gorilla um 
the whole play-by-play and color thing kind of goes out the window with them because you can tell they kind of they kind of ruin it because you can tell they just like working together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like I think um, I think Keenan and Gorilla covered that up a little better. But one of the things that I liked mm-hmm. about him was pointing out like the hypocrisy of like Vince. Yeah. Okay. And just being like, well, you know, you had a problem and this guy did that. Like, why, why do you, um, basically like conspiracy theorist, Jesse Ventura, which is annoying now was his greatest, like asset as a, as a, um, color commentator. (laughs) Yeah. I love them as color commentator. Um, I think his work in WWF back in the day is obviously like that's that was tops. Uh, but I also think he did a good job in early nineties WCW. Uh, he did. How long was he there? At least a year, maybe two. About two, I, I think. Yeah, I don't feel like it was longer than that. But I think he did a good job there. I think he, he had a really interesting, but still pretty good dynamic, uh, both with JR and I think he did some shows with Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Jesse was always like hilarious too. He he's another one of those people who could put over. We talked about this some, uh, I think, in when we were doing the whole like uh, macho at uh, Mega Powers Explode uh, yeah. series. He could put over people, but he could also explain why they're doing it. Like we've talked about with other color guys Mm -hmm. and i loved what he would call out the faces for doing something that was essentially heelish like he did that especially with hogan because he hated hogan Mm -hmm. but he would do that all the time and he'd be like look at him gorilla whenever he would do something like underhanded uh and i really thought that added a whole lot of element like when you're a little kid you didn't care you were just like oh jesse's an asshole but as an adult watching it it's like you know what that actually makes a lot of sense and makes you think which right, I think right. is something that, as an adult fan, you really kind of appreciate. And just I love Jesse would throw out like funny little quips. Sometimes he wasn't uh, he wasn't a joke machine as some other people were. Right. But I loved he would he would occasionally get his digs in, and it was always hilarious. Like like if they were in uh, like say say like San Antonio, he'd be like, you know what's wrong? You know what's the worst thing about Texas gorilla? What's that, Jess? Texicans. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. it's just a lot of funny little things like that I would enjoy. The only uh-huh. the only time he really got in my nerves is when we were doing the Hogan Savage thing. Like his WrestleMania five commentary for that match was awful because he kept doing. He got he got stuck on the Pukamania thing, mm-hmm. and it, by the end of that, I was just like Jesse, just shut the fuck up. He he did have a tendency that once he got a hold of something, he wasn't letting go. But I, I will say one thing he does well is, um, and I think where a lot of heel guys lose the point is you have to kind of give the, the faces credit sometimes, and I think some heel color guys don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesse was really good about that. I, it, um. And he always I may not like him, but I can respect what he's doing. He also called he also he also always called Tito Santana Chico. Oh yeah, Chico Santana. <laughs> that's true. That that's true. 
Also, his outfits are always interesting. Right. Okay, weird memory, but I remember that he was supposed... He would... He was judging a swimsuit contest for, I think, the Bash at the Beach 92. The one with... Uh, no, he was not. Um, Johnny B. Bad was, but he was involved somehow. I can't remember exactly what it was. But... Uh, yeah, he was uh, he w- he was involved in that in that competition somehow. That was Medusa and Missy Hyatt, I think. Okay, that's, uh, sorry. That's, I'm trying that's, to, I'm trying to picture it in my head. Sorry, sometimes I yeah yeah for for some reason they wanted the Little Richard guy to be the one that that ran the competition, but uh, okay, w- whatever. <laughs> I think uh, I think though he's um he's I I don't know if he would be number two on my list. He'd probably go down a few spots um lower just because like I said he could be annoying at times. And um there's a couple guys I think when we talk honorable mentions I think we're a little better than him, but I think as far as I think as far as WWE color commentary, there's about three there's about four guys that were great and then everyone else is just lost in a sea of nothing <laughs> well do we want to do honorable mentions before we do our last one or let's do last one and then we'll do our honorables all right because because um all right so my because uh, our, our number one honorable mention needs his own section because he is truly <laughs> a sight okay yes yeah. Uh, so my number one, this should be no surprise. Uh, I've expressed my love for him before. I don't. I think he's probably number one on a lot of people's lists, but that would be Bobby the Brain Heenan, uh, an absolute treasure. There has never been someone like him since he stopped being a color commentator. There probably will never be another one like him. Uh, just like the total package, like someone who could get over the product didn't necessarily like other commentators per se talk about what a guy was doing in the ring like oh you know he's targeting this body part or what have you but he could get guys over he could get storylines over he was funny as hell he had a quick wit and this is where i don't think people are going to be like him in the future like you just his wit was so quick and he was so funny and it was not something that I mean, nowadays, things are so scripted with the WWE, but even take things beyond that, like, I just don't see too many people out there who could just roll into a joke or a funny comment and make it, like, so... Even, like, he would do it sometimes just, like, deadpan, but it was hilarious. Uh, You're not going to get someone like that again. Um, His work, obviously, back when it was the WWF, was to me like tops that's what i'm predominantly basing it on mm-hmm. i still liked him in wcw <laughs> but the problem is like he did not play off as well with tony as much as i uh, care for tony that's a lot of that is tony's fault like he didn't i don't think tony really embraced that um but i still felt he did a good job and i he had moments in wcw where i still felt he shined you mean like his so, victory tour for like the first year after hogan turned heel yes <laughs> And he deserved yeah. it. I mean, and that was something that you're. it's rare you're going to get that. Probably not see it too much in the modern era. But yeah, it, that's something that literally, if you think about it, it was years paying off. 
talking crap about Hogan for like over a decade. And finally he's like, look, I told you guys he was a jerk. I think my favorite gorilla, well, the primetime wrestling is not worth watching except for like the interlaced parts with him and gorilla just like screwing around. But my favorite from that is when Ken Patera like injured his neck and gorilla thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. And like every week on primetime for like four months, he'd replay it for Bobby, like at the start of the show. (laughs) And he just thought it was like absolutely hilarious. That's kind of my favorite gorilla and Bobby thing. Oh man. The, um, Heenan was so good at, at you know, you, you said always quick with the quip, but he was so good at slipping it in there and then moving along like nothing weird happened. Um, you remember when, when Ray had his uh, dumbest thing, but lost his mask and he started, you know, the filthy animals type gear and that sort of stuff? You had Heenan would say things like, now if I was Ray Mysterio, what I would do is uh, since I don't have the mask anymore, I'd be working on my awareness. And uh, and since I have new ring gear, I'd be getting used to that. And I'd slip a brick into one of those pockets. And then I would... And, and like, Shivani would stop him and go, what did you just say? And he'd go, work on my ring awareness. You know, stuff like that. You know, he just yeah. slipped that in. And it was so great to hear. Again, there's the funny aspect again. And then unintentional comedy... And I know we mentioned this when we watched the show, but what side of the building did he go off on? The park, the the street side or the river side? Oh, yeah. And, and you just see him, and he's like, oh, God. I have to say one thing that Heenan did that was a little bit frustrating if he stopped to think about it, is anytime somebody used something like that was like it was supposed to be ether or a bad smell or something like that. Since the nitro commentary booth was up by the entrance ramp, he would sit there and be acting like it was so awful, which means that the people who were at ringside should probably be vomiting on the floor, but they weren't. And so it's kind of like, um, maybe overselling that a little bit, Bobby. You know what's insane? If you ever went, if you ever went to a nitro. That that they're the way they put that booth was the dumbest thing I've ever seen because they were like all the way behind the crowd and sometimes they weren't even facing the crowd like facing yeah they the had ring. their back to it yeah so they're doing it all off the monitors yes it's just the craziest thing because like I went once and I was on the floor and you had to like look behind you and to like the side yeah yeah it, it I mean I understand wanting to open up at ringside a little bit. Um, but it, just turn it so it's looking at the ring, please. I think you have to be like at ringside personally. I've 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 been in. I go back and forth on it. You, Do you have to be? I don't think you have to be. Is it better? Maybe you need the option for breaking tables. Well, that that's why you put the the non primary language tables. <laughs> I've always thought it was weird. It's always weird whenever you cut to your announce team and they're sitting there without a table. And it's like, look, guys, we've seen what happens. These things are made to fall apart. Just will someone set it back up, please. 
that was my favorite Jim Ross thing is when he turned heel and he brought his little like fake table out and he'd sit in front of like Michael Cole and Lawler with like <laughs> Dr. Death standing next to him. Okay, yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> That's actually how the Amazing Red and the SAT got their start is they were the Spanish announced team. And they were yeah. fed up with the Spanish announce table getting broken every show. So they were would come out and protect the Spanish announce table. Right. Um, let me see. Oh, oh, we can't forget. You mentioned Santana earlier. We can't forget Bobby Heenan naming Santana's finisher, can we? What did he name it? The flying jalapeno. Oh, that's right. His his flying. I thought it was form. the flying burrito. That's uh, that's uh, Manny Fernandez's like legitimate finisher oh. name. <laughs> oh my god! You know, speaking of Jesse Ventura, he and Manny Fernandez have something in common. I, I have. I have some thoughts, but I don't know which one are going to be. Uh, they both claim to have been Vietnam veterans, and they weren't. Okay, all right. I was thinking, I was going to go with uh, kind of crazy, but... Oh, Manny Fernandez. I, I watched some of his shoot interview, and he is, he is, he is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the scale of uh, one to Billy Jack Haynes, <laughs> how nuts is Manny Fernandez? <laughs> I don't think he's quite Billy Jack Haynes, because I don't think he's confessed to did billy jack haynes say he killed someone or that he saw someone get killed i don't know he's given a few different shoot interviews it's t- it's possible he could have confessed to murder <laughs> i i the sad thing i don't is, know what to say to that you know well, you know what it really says something when you have to say like did he confess to murder or confess to witnessing murder yeah or both he's not that bad um, he's okay. he's maybe. Uh, I was gonna say, did his story change? He might be like he might be in that Alex Jones territory. Okay. Mm. Uh, that's a that's a good step between like your run of the mill like thing and Billy Jack Haynes. Right. Well, okay. So on that chart. Is is who's further along, Fernandez or Ventura? I haven't seen Ventura talk in a while. Well, Ventura did have the the conspiracy show on the History Channel. Was that History Channel, or was that like some offshoot History Channel? Uh, you know why am I going to sit here and try and think about it? And I can just look it up. I feel like that was like some offshoot, like like. One of those off, like, brand Discovery channels back in the day. It may have been. Um, because I, I can't see the History Channel using him over the Ancient Aliens guy. Mm. Well, uh, yeah, I suppose that's... Let's see. Post-gubernatorial. Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. No, you're right. It was True TV's show. Oh, yeah. 
Wow, True TV. So. He didn't even get Discovery Channel. Ouch. <laughs> and now he is a member of the Green Party. Wasn't he always a member of the Green Party? No, nah, he was in, like the Reform Party when he became the governor. So, let's see. Was the is the was the Reform Party Pat Buchanan's deal, or was that like not? That sounds right. Uh, I don't know. I don't exactly like keep up in tabs with what Pat Buchanan's doing. Yeah, that's that's or has done in like twenty years. No, I. Yeah, I just some of those like third politi- third party political parties are really hard to like keep up with. Like what is what? Because some of them like rebrand oh, themselves okay. over and over and over again. So let's see. The Reform Party was Ross Perot. Oh, okay, okay. That but makes sense. but Ventura ran for governor as the nominee. It was the Reform Party of Minnesota. When but then when that broke off from the Reform Party of the United States, it became the Independence Party of Minnesota. So anyway, Bobby Heenan. Um, <laughs> You know, I was watching um, Kayfabe Commentaries did one the other day. Did, I was watching a list they did the other day, and it was the best managers. And and Heenan was number one. Everyone agreed Heenan was number one, with the exception of Tammy Sitch, who ha- had Heenan and Cornette reversed. But everyone would talk about not only how clever he was, but just Heenan had a gift for getting people over everything he did. You know, even being, um, even everyone he would, you know, he would get people over, and it would, ha- except Hogan. You know, he just hated Hogan. So that's yeah. that. But that's that's to be expected. Um, I think the sad thing is, is like I think his best managerial work, like we haven't even seen, because I think his stuff with Bockwinkle is probably his best work. You know, they they talked about that a lot. And the thing that is the saddest thing, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to Bobby Heenan, is to have a man who was so gifted and so talented with the use of his voice develop throat cancer. That was that was just heartbreaking for me. To have that happen. Um God, that's just that that that's that's what happened to him. You know, that's it, it couldn't be that I don't know that that Bobby had anything else, but to have you know to have his voice taken away from him. It's just awful, you know. Just it, it it's it's like it feels like the worst outcome. I have brought us down. No, it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> hard with Heenan to not talk about that. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's. And and you know, of course, we st- we miss the guy. This is, that'd be one guy who'd be a legend that we'd want to bring around, and yet you know, we can't now. Yeah. But it wouldn't hurt anybody to bring him back around because it's not like it's not like people are going to be like. 
you know, people are watching be like, well, they better not mess with Stone Cold or whip them and be like, yeah, Stone Cold's next a pile of graham crackers at this point. I, I wouldn't be. Uh, Heenan could have just, you know, quipped off something and it would have been great. I think uh, I think I think graham crackers is a little much. I think it's like bubble gum with some dental floss now. He typically <laughs> refers to it as um, as a stack of dimes on his podcast, but. You know, I, I like I like what the uh, I like the imagery that goes with graham crackers. But um, it's okay, Shad, because Matt and I were saving something to bring the show up with our first honorable mm-hmm. mention. So, Matt, take it away. Uh, that would be <laughs> Jim Crockett Promotions' own David Crockett. Yes. <laughs> you guys teased this a while back. I know people hate him. I love David Crockett. Let me tell you something. When he first, when I first started uh, listening, and I didn't really have exposure to the old Jim Crockett promotion in WA stuff from the late '80s mm-hmm. uh, until years later. I did, I started watching wrestling with WCW, but this was like so far after the '80s, and this stuff wasn't on like. Um, like VHS tapes of the the pay-per-views. So I didn't see this stuff until years later, even before the network, but back when they were doing uh like the the what was that monthly subscription oh, that you could get? Oh, 24/7, that's fine. Like that was my first exposure to it. Was the was the on yeah. demand yeah, network was, and they changed the shows yeah. every 2 weeks. Yeah, we've mentioned this before in the podcast. I forgot the name, but it was <laughs> yeah, it was WWE 24/7. Uh you would to subscribe to it like you would subscribe to like HBO uh, from your cable provider. I think it was only like 10 bucks a yeah. month and they would give you like a certain number of pay-per-views. They would give you like, I want to say like four or five pay-per-views like from the vault. You get, for, uh, you get um, an ECW TV show. Like it would go sequentially. You'd get the old world championship yeah. wrestling uh, world class. Yeah. And then um, Monday night wars, which was nitro and raw. And that would go sequentially. Yeah. And then you get some old house shows. Yeah. And, you, and televised house shows, like, but from like even yeah. the 70s, the 80s, stuff like that. So they gave you It enough, was kind of like the, the. It was like the. It was, yeah, it was like the predecessor to uh, the network. So they, they give you enough content that if you, if you were, if you were good and watched a little bit every night, you'd get through it. But if like you had like a bad weather weekend, you could blow through all of it in a weekend too. And then you'd be sad. Yeah. It wasn't like a ton of stuff. But they did update it like every every week to every other week, um, and that's my first exposure because they had some of those old uh, NWA shows oh, co- with Jim Crockett. It, it cost me so much money though because all the blank DVDs I was buying and like taping all that, uh, all that stuff on yep. DVD. I burned a lot of stuff off the net off that twenty four seven. I totally did. I was in the same boat because my my big investment in two thousand five for myself when I got my first big boy job was a DVD recorder. Mm-hmm. And blank DVDs weren't expensive, but like a good changeover on the network got you about like ten to twelve DVDs worth of stuff. Yeah, but that was my first exposure. Uh, seeing him uh because they had some of those old shows and i will say when i first saw those shows and i heard him i'm like who the who is this guy this guy's a clown and i like him 
But then I started watching more of the shows, and he literally grew <laughs> on me. He's still like I feel he's pretty polarizing. I don't feel like we're. I don't feel a lot of people are gonna have the, not gonna the appreciation. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna have the appreciation of David Crockett that we do. <laughs> uh, but the more you listen to him, I swear, like, the more I got into him. I mean, he's not the best way to describe David Crockett. He's not really a color guy. He basically is just a, he's he's a fan. He's a fan of wrestling yeah. that they threw out there. But he has such genuine love for the product and for the the people he was seeing it was it becomes infectious like when you see him getting excited about what's happening in the ring or what dusty Rhodes is doing yeah or magnum ta or something you feel it and, and i have to say genuine because it is it, it wasn't even just like he's doing a he's trying to get this guy over no it was just david crockett marking out for what was happening in front. Let, of let me look at him. Look at him, Tony. Yeah, let, look at him, Tony. Let me um, let me let me kind of like contextualize him for someone that maybe doesn't like him. Think about think about like your. Well, if you don't have children, if you have children, think about your like child, or think about your niece or nephew if you don't have children. Think about them on like Christmas morning or think about like them taking them to Disney for their first time and seeing someone dressed up as their favorite Disney character. Think about like that childlike joy. That's like what David Crockett is. Yes. It was a, it was a childlike joy. Like David Crockett like is it's like a child on Christmas like when when you're listening to David Crockett like do commentary. Hmm. But he had subtleties too, because like even like someone like Tully Blanchard, he'd be like, he'd be like, you know, I don't like his tactics or his attitude, but he's a heck of a wrestler. Like, he he really like he did he could call it down the middle. That's true. Yeah, but that's fun. But I, I I I just I love David Crockett. He's he's truly like. I, I would I'd be willing to call him a guilty pleasure. He is okay. a guilty pleasure. That's that's exactly fair. So I, I did have a couple other. I had a couple honorable mentions I wanted to throw in here, um, to go with this. And, and if Shad or Matt have any other honorable mentions, we can get to those too before we head off for the night. But uh, Bill Watts would, if, if I had done a list, Bill Watts would have probably been my number two or number three. Um, okay. Shad, you would absolutely. I, I kind of wondered about Bill Watts because um, the, I kind of wondered about it. Uh, I, I just, I haven't had a whole lot of experience with Watts as one and I'm interested by it. If you want to know, like, if you want wrestling to feel real, like, you put Bill Watts in color commentary, like, a lot of things he talks about is like, yeah, these guys are doing this because they want money. Like, they, he does that thing, like, hey, the winners get more, like, being a champion, you get more money. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's really good at, like, breaking down, like, why this move. Like, he's even one of the guys that would tell you, like, hey, like, the reason a guy is hurt, like, when he misses a drop kick versus when he hits a drop kick is because, like, when he actually hits the drop kick, he can control his fall better. Mm-hmm. Things like that are why Watts is yeah. great. 
Yeah. Um, what was the, uh, the, that was another Cornette story is he said, you know, in, in Memphis, blindfold battle Royals were comedy, but they took them down to, to, uh, to Watts and Watts was talking about, you know, these are 250 pound men and they're not going to be able to see. And people are going to, you know, they're going to be falling or being thrown out of the ring and they're not going to know where they're going or what's (laughs) going to happen. People are apparently like bringing ambulances to the arena because of how he was selling it. So I, I would like to uh, I would like to hear more. He, they have most of Mid South's TV run on the network now. Do they? Yeah, okay. and it's it's it starts a little slow, but as it goes on, it um it's really good stuff. Cool. Okay. And uh, I'll. I want to dig that out there. Uh, there's some other guys I, I, I personally like. I think Michael Hayes is pretty good on commentary. Okay. Um, Dutch Mantel's pretty good. I haven't seen a lot of him on commentary to really give an appraisal. And I liked William Regal way back in the early days of NXT. I would agree. Yeah. I enjoy the regal meme of regal explain stuff, like going in depth about why you do a particular small thing that that inhabits the the squared circle subreddit. Um, but the the fact that regal could do all that so quickly, I, I really appreciate that. I like it. So uh, I got to agree with you on that sort of thing. I'm trying to think of some other guys. Like I, I liked Ernie Ladd, like on his occasional. His occasional like prop ups to the booth um, in Mid South. Uh, there's someone else I feel like I'm forgetting, but th- those were my main ones. Do you guys have anyone that like would make your list of? of- I'm I'm trying to think of people we haven't already mentioned. Is the problem because um, we've gone through? Well, uh, this would invoke a dark time, but there was <laughs> there was a short short period. It may have only been one match, even where Arn Anderson worked with Scott Hudson to call a match, and of course, it being Arn, he did a great job. <laughs> But uh, I, I'm I'm scrambling to try and think of someone else to add in. Oh, CM Punk was really pretty good. Like the very limited times he did it. Um. God, sitting here trying to. So many times I've watched, and you've had okay. Wade Barrett did it a few times, right? But he was so in character, he wasn't really doing color. He was just talking smack about whoever was out there. So that doesn't really work. Um, Colt Cabana's pretty solid for Ring of Honor, like, way better than I would have thought he'd do. I mean, wasn't that pretty much all he did in his time on a WWE developmental contract is they just had him as Scotty Goldman. They didn't even have him wrestle. They just had him, like, in the booth doing stuff. I think he wrestled, like, three times. Oh, okay. Hang on. We'll stop there for a second. Those three times, right? Hey, Colt, did you bring your gear with you? 
And the answer is always, yeah. It's like, you might need it tonight. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then they, I, I'm sure someone came running out. I was like, no, 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 dude, you need to get get geared up. They're seriously going to do something with you. Like, oh, God, really? Okay. One of my favorite Colt matches is um, he was wrestling someone in progress. I think the guy was doing like a dog gimmick. So he came out and he was like throwing tennis balls and like the dog guy would chase them. So they're like doing the match and the dog finally bites him and Colt's just screaming, I've got rabies. <laughs> I like Cabana, his his style of, of um, kind of goofy fun. I enjoy that. And it's it's something I wish that um, it's something I wish I myself had been more open to doing. Well, he got more but, into that. Um He's talked about that in his podcast. He went more comedy and more low impact because of concussions. Like he did this to like prolong his career because if you watch him like in the early 2000s and Matt will attest to this, he was much more of like a moves like typical indie guy. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So he kind of evolved like to save his noggin. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a smart choice then. Yeah. Um, so, Okay. I, God, I can't come up with anybody else. Uh, I'd like to, but I, I, I can't come up with I'd anything say, else. I'd say Excalibur, but I used him for play-by-play, so I can't double dip on that. Yeah, yeah, we can't, we can't double dip on that. Uh, I'll, I'll do one. Yeah. Um, I'll do two actually, and Matt will probably have heard enough of them to agree or disagree. But uh, Larry Sweeney and Ultramantis Black in Chikara. Uh, yeah, I would say Larry Sweeney, although I didn't see a ton of him beyond some of the Chikara shows I've seen. Uh, I, I, I don't really recall like the commentary from, from black. They, 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 they pop. So Shad, what they do on those is guys kind of pop in and out for like the matches on shows. So you'll get guys that just show up for a match or two, then kind of. Okay. So like a lot of the wrestlers will come in. So like black does a lot, um, Bryce Remsburg and Mike Quackenbush will come in and uh, Larry Sweeney used to like pop in and do stuff. Okay. From what you told me about Sweeney, I'd probably get a kick out of what he did. He wasn't like necessarily like a, um, a great wrestler. He was more of a great personality. Okay. Well, that's, that's what I'm, I mean is that he was probably pretty good at that to hear, have him drop in. Thinking back, though, because, I, I mean, I was really deep into indie wrestling at the time, but I bet his actual active career was only, like, three years, maybe. Oh, yeah. Like, maybe five years, but, I mean, I I think it was probably relatively short compared to what we would think of it as. Right. Well, guys, I think we've about uh, about got to the end of this. Uh, it seems like we're kind of scraping now, so I think this might be a good time to call it. Um, Matt, thank you for compiling the list on this. Sure. And, um, the Don Callis call wanna... is a good, a good one. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's not one I would have called because that's not something I had experience on, so it's good to hear these different points of view and get these out there. Uh, everybody out there, do you agree on the color commentary on our listing? Who would you add? Who would you not add? Would you move people around? We'd love to hear from you on social media. Uh, please hit us up. 
This is Shad here with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we'll see you next time.